0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara.
2: Welcome inside Around the Dial. This is the best in your sports talk for Wednesday, April the 3rd. I'm your host, D.A. Bryce Harper was booed, and Bryce Harper delivered. The Phillies slugger, the newest Philly, owner of a 13-year, $330 million contract, returned back to D.C. in game number four. The Phillies were already 3-0 on the young season after an opening weekend sweep of the defending National League East champions, the Atlanta Braves. Harper had two home runs in that series and was riding high, but Harper struck out twice to begin his night in front of the road fans. They let him have it, tattooing traitor on their chest and booing loudly on every at-bat, cheering wildly when he struck out. But Harper ultimately had the last laugh, hitting a home run deep into the night, into the upper deck, and the Phillies win again 8-2. to Here's his manager, Gabe Kapler, who, who joined Angelo Cataldi in the WIP morning show in Philadelphia on Bryce's reception. That reception, he got surprised you a little bit, didn't it?
3: It did. It really did, Angelo. I, you know, it's, it's not to say that I don't expect, um, I wouldn't expect the Nationals fan to be a little bit hurt that, that Bryce chose the Phillies, but at, at the same time, I, I think the first thing that I would do as a fan is recognize the contributions of, of a player that gave everything he had for seven years um, and, and four playoff appearances. And look, I remember when I was with the Red Sox and Johnny Damon went to the, to the Yankees. He signed with the Yankees after the 04 World Series. And then he came back to Boston, and the first thing that happened was he got a standing ovation, and then the booze came. <laughs> of course the booze came after that, but before the booze came, you, you saw this acknowledgment and, and a tip of the cap and, and appreciation. So yeah, it, w- it was a little surprising.
2: Hey, you, you just referenced your own playing days, Gabe. What is it like to have the world watching you and to strike out the first two times up and then do what Bryce did? How hard is that?
3: Uh, you know what? I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> I've never, I've never had that level of, of, of attention on me. So like, yeah, I, I certainly referenced my playing days, but I was, you know, player number 23, 24 on the roster whereas Bryce's whole entire life has been the number one player on the roster. And while I can certainly relate to some degree of pressure, I I can't even imagine what that must have been like for him. The emotions must have been running so incredibly high and for him to step up like he did. The mental toughness is astounding, really astounding, Angelo.
4: Hey, Gabe, when um, you're in the dugout and he launches that ball 458 feet, what's the first thing that hits your mind?
3: I, I think it's just... It's just kind of awe. You know, I think we we all appreciate how difficult a moment is when, you know, you have 40,000 people booing you and how that can kind of bring you down to a pretty low place. And then to have the concentration level to step in there against, you know, 93, 95, in some cases more with Max Scherzer, and then to have the ball moving all over the place and maintain your focus, your concentration level, and then... To really, I mean, obviously the talent shines through. It's the bat speed is lightning, but to, to really focus in and lock in in that moment and put that ball 450 feet in the seats in
2: the upper tank here at
3: this ballpark, it was it was really impressive. Hey, Gabe, is
2: it surprising to you how quickly Bryce has bonded with the teammates? You know, with the handshakes and all the other stuff he's doing with his teammates. Is it surprising it's that quick?
3: I don't think so because he he made a concerted effort. He made it. He made. He made it his focus to bond with the, fi- the city of Philadelphia, to bond with the fans, and and as you know, Angelo, this the acquisition of Bryce Harper began several years ago, um, and there was there was this pursuit by uh, John Middleton, our ownership group, by our front office, by the fans, you know, by everybody collectively. Um, so he comes over, and he's already started that process, and then when he gets here. He really has a clear roadmap, an architectural blueprint on how he wants to connect with the fans and his teammates. And obviously, early success makes it a whole lot easier. But but this is, make no mistake, this is Bryce's plan. He knows how to do it. He knows how to execute on it. And He's done a great job thus far.
2: Look, I don't blame D.C. and Nats fans for showing that angst. I mean, he left them to stay in the division. He's just a couple of hours down I-95. I mean, it's understandable that Nats fans would feel pretty burnt that he chose to go in the division just down the road and battle them every single season as long as he's in Philadelphia. But give Bryce this, man. He's rising to the occasion. It has certainly felt like he has tried too hard to fit in in Philadelphia since he signed there. But as long as he delivers on the baseball diamond, what else matters? And frankly... I kind of like it because baseball could use a good villain, and he's certainly playing that role well right now. Elsewhere in baseball, former Mets pitcher Ron Darling, who was a member of the 1986 World Series champs, has penned a new book, and he's been doing a speaking tour about the book. And in the book, he recalls an anecdote From that 86 World Series, where Lenny Dykstra is in the on-deck circle, and during it, he is calling out and riding Red Sox starting pitcher Oil Can Boyd. Now, Lenny Dykstra, obviously known for being a loose cannon and being into some major trouble after his playing career, and Darling says that this tirade against Oil Can Boyd to try to get at his head included racial slurs. So this is obviously blown up into quite a story, Lenny Dykstra has claimed that that never happened, and other members of the Mets have said they don't remember it happening that way. What about Oil Can Boyd? Well, the former Red Sox pitcher at the center of the story dialed up WFAN in New York and had a really interesting interview about all of this with CNB. Chris, Maggie, and Bart, let's listen in.
4: There's obviously been the big controversy around Ron Darling's book in which he says that Lenny Dykstra, prior to game three of the 1986 World Series in Boston, that Oil Can was pitching. That Dykstra, as Oil Can was warming up and getting ready to go, and Lenny's in the on deck circle, was yelling some racial epithets uh, at Oil Can, and that it rattled him, and as a result, gave up the home run to Dykstra. To start the game. Now, Lenny, as Wait. we know, he disputes that this happened.
0: Okay, so here's one of the excerpts that Ron Darling writes in the book. He said, quote, I don't want to be too specific here, but I will say that it was the worst collection of taunts and insults I'd ever heard. Worse, I'm betting, than anything Jackie Robinson may have heard his first couple times around
5: the league.
4: So, uh, the the guys on the morning show were obviously trying to get in touch with Oil Can uh, to get his response to it. And he called back just now. I hope the guys in the morning don't mind that we're putting him on. Uh, oil can, it is uh, it is Chris, Maggie, and Bart Scott here in New York. Uh, appreciate a couple of minutes. How you doing? Okay,
0: so can you clear this up for us? Did Lenny Dykstra taunt you before Game 3 of the World Series?
6: Uh, uh, honestly, uh, I don't know anything about it. I, I was even speaking with my spouse in the last couple of days or so. I mean, the last uh, 24 hours or so about it, just briefly and everything. And I said, well, you know, I said to a baby, I, I don't even know. You know, uh, I'm warming up for a ball game, and I'm preparing to go out and try to get the New York Mets out one at a time. And that's all that's on my mind. And uh, to see any kind of gestures made toward me coming from the opposing dugout, I didn't see anything like that, nor was I looking for anything like that. So, you know, this is this is all new to me. Uh, and, and as deep as Ron Dollar seemed to make it to be and what he heard, I, I'm kind of disturbed about it. And I'm also kind of hurt about it because I have been around Lenny and I played ball with J- Lenny in Japan and he, he didn't seem to come off as that type of a person. And he had even made home at one time in Mississippi. And, and that's where I grew up at. So I, I kind of, you know, the person that I saw, I like the person that I talked to, I like So, no, I'm I'm quite disturbed about it. Uh but I guess uh you know uh on, on the, what you see on the surface is not really what a person might seem to be. So it didn't it, nothing rattled me because I didn't know what was going on. It was just I left a slide out over the plate. Ain't happened to be a strong little man, and he hit it out of the ballpark. You know, I, I'm so. sorry to,
0: to jump in just one second, but, you know, earlier in the interview you said with all this stuff coming out and the and the accusation that you felt more hurt, you know, that, that 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 maybe this was even said, right, especially by someone who you, you know, considered yourself to be acquaintance with or friendly with. Do you think it happened yep. even if you didn't hear it? Yes. You do think that Lenny Dykstra said something to you. You just didn't hear it.
4: Yes. So it's fair enough to sum it up all this way. You had other stuff going on that day, personally. When you're warming up, you didn't hear it, but you do believe it happened. Yes. Good enough. Oil can. We can't thank you enough for your time.
6: That's not not the... Yeah. I I appreciate you guys having me on and everything, and... uh, Uh, I enjoyed that I could entertain you guys when I came to New York, too. I enjoyed (laughs) pitching in Yankee Stadium.
2: I I wonder how much of this story has gotten distorted over time because at that time, things like this were acceptable. I mean, here's Oil Can Boyd saying that he was great friends with a known racist, in his mind, in Wade Boggs. He said, yeah, Boggs was a racist, but I loved him. You know, in the 80s and before my guess is that some of this stuff was just acceptable or understood that it was going to happen on the baseball diamond and other places in sports. And now to look back and say that happened seems crazy and unacceptable. And what were you doing and how could you think that way? And why didn't you put a stop to it? And maybe that's where things kind of go off the rails. In the NFL, Russell Wilson has established April 15th as a due date to get a contract extension done to the Seattle Seahawks. He is going to be a free agent after this upcoming season, and he says he does not want this dragging into the regular season to be a distraction. What should the Seahawks do? Here's Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio on the MAC Attack and WFNZ in Charlotte. (laughs)
7: Apparently the story out of Seattle is he's giving them kind of a, a drop dead date. hey, by April 15th, we don't have a long-term deal. I'm going into the season, we're not talking, I'm going into the season as the last year of my contract. You have speculated and, and seems seems to make sense that he is eyeing that Aaron Rodgers number and he wants to get 34 million. he wants a year, he wants to be the highest paid quarterback. Should Seattle give that to him if that is indeed what he's asking?
5: Yeah, I mean, look, and it may not just be $34 million, It may be $34 million with some sort of an escalator tied to what the salary cap does because who knows what's going to happen after the next CBA? Who knows what's going to happen after the next round of TV deals? Who knows what kind of revenue gambling is going to pump into the NFL? And now may be the time for quarterbacks to start getting some sort of ceiling. You know, you've got your base salary, but you're ultimately going to get x percentage of the salary cap you're always guaranteed to get 15 17 percent whatever it may be you're you're allowed to do that 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 is a permissible negotiating point teams have refused to do it Kirk Cousins tried to do it in Washington Darrell Rivas tried to do it nine years ago in New York teams refuse to do it but at some point I think someone's going to have the leverage to do it and it may be Russell Wilson and if they don't do it look here's the thing I haven't written this yet uh, I, I mentioned it on uh, PFTOT, which is a, a thing that we do after PFT Live. I am told that Russell Wilson will not hold out. He will be there for everything. This is not an or else okay. he's not going to show. Yeah. This is or else I'm not signing a long-term contract. And you're going to have to deal with, and, and bear with me here, $30.34 million as the franchise tag for 2020, $34.6 as the franchise tag for 20. 21 then come 2022 52.43 million you add it all up it's about 137 million what he's going to make this year in the next three years it works out to exactly 34 million a year yeah, just give him that the that's deal. it it's just give him 34 million a year just give him the deal
2: i think wilson obviously wants to stay in seattle and i don't see why the seahawks would not want to pay him I think they've kind of established this is what they're going to do in allowing all of the defensive stars to leave, retire, what have you. They have not steadied the, the waters by putting money into the defense. They've kind of allowed all of the other salaries on the roster to fall by the wayside because they've got every intention of paying Russell Wilson and making him the franchise centerpiece, which I don't blame. I mean, he's got a ring to his credit. He's been in back-to-back Super Bowls. They've been a playoff team or around the playoffs every year since he's taken over as starting quarterback. So it makes sense. I think right now it's a story, but ultimately this deal, if it doesn't get done by April 15th, gets done after the season and Russell Wilson is a Seahawk for a long time. Rob Gronkowski has retired at least at this point in time. His age, Andrew Rosenhaus, says it's temporary right now that perhaps at some point in time Gronk could come back. But Gronk had this great party-loving, carefree attitude that we saw publicly. And at times, you know, let's face it, he came off as kind of a doofus. Did he get a free pass because he was so lovable for his off-field behavior? Here's the guys on KILT, Sports Radio 610 and Mad Radio in Houston.
8: The difference between Gronk and other people is that I'm guessing Gronk knew how to handle his business. Like, there, this is always an issue. It's like, there's some guys, especially when they're rookies or or young players, that don't know how to have a good time away from the field and still fulfill all their duties on the field, which means, like, showing up on time for meetings, working out hard, doing all those things. No, I'm not going to sit here and say that Gronk's lifestyle was ideal. It was not. And, he like, he probably would have gotten injured a whole lot less if he'd stayed at home and gone to bed at 7 p.m. every single night. But... It's like in the balance of like, what are we going to, what do we choose to criticize when it comes to players off-field activities? You can, when Odell Beckham Jr. flies to Miami with the rest of the receiving core and parties, but then also has a horrible, horrible playoff game next And it's next the Monday week.
9: before that right. game.
8: Like, right, like, like there's it's a matter season. of timing and there's a matter of actually taking care of your business. Like he didn't do either. Gronk doesn't do that. You know, like Gronk's party and everything was always in the offseason. And it was always stuff that he was doing alongside other athletes. It's just that he was the biggest name, biggest profile guy there. You see it with other athletes all the time that aren't as big name or as high profile. Go to any guy's social media account and see which clubs they're at in the offseason and everything. It's just that Gronk, Gronk got a lot more attention for it just because of his, his personality. So it's, yeah, it's not ideal. But what, what, what should have people been doing? Quitifying like, it, more. like uh, saying that this is bad for America or something. Who wouldn't
10: want to be partying with bikini-clad women? <laughs> I, no, from I, my I perspective, don't even
8: understand where that has anything to do with like performance or anything. Like, huh, like is, is he a is he a Quaker? Like, what? His is,
7: girlfriend's is the... a swimsuit model.
8: <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe this red-blooded young American man is uh, hanging out with women in bikinis in the off season. When uh, they should all be wearing denim dresses that go to the floor and walking five feet behind them. I mean, (laughs) what is he arguing
10: for? This take to me is crazy, and and, and Brant wrote, "It's a fair question to ask whether Gronk would have would have been injured less and had a more productive career had he partied oh, yeah. less." I, I actually I actually disagree with that part. Uh, Rob Gronkowski was injured in college, like it, it sounds like a good. Oh, oh
8: yeah, I forgot he started partying and uh, well,
10: NFL. What, what I'm saying though is it's realistic to look at the way Gronk played and say this is somebody who would be injury prone. He's a he's a big guy He was a big target. People we all watched Gronk play. There were there were safety users who were taking shots at, at at his shoulders, at his legs, at his knees, at his ankles all the time. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not. T- I'm just saying it's not a guarantee. But no, but I,
8: Mike, you can look at any person that drinks a lot or parties a lot, and I think it's not a leap of logic to say, wow, no matter how successful they are, their bodies probably would have held up better if they had done less of that. Like, Mickey Mantle's body probably would have held up better if he hadn't partied so much. Like, it makes – like, if you look at what – like like, and I'm not making an argument that guys shouldn't enjoy life or anything. It's just a simple – it's a yin and a yang. It, it, there's a balance of it. When you look at what alcohol does to your body in terms of recovery and everything. It makes it a lot harder to recover. But and my, I like it, Gronk got injured in college, yeah. Drunk partied a lot in college. But, here, I'm guessing. but here's
10: my thing: I have no idea how much Rob Gronkowski partied. Seriously, right. I know that may sound ridiculous, but like the stuff that there's stuff on Instagram. There's like a cruise, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know how much Gronk partied. Period. And I also don't know, don't know how much he partied
7: compared to other NFL players. I genuinely have no concept. I have no clue. It's all about timing, and for Rob Gronkowski, it seemed like the timing of whenever he was having fun seemed to be during the off season, during Super Bowl parades during the summer on that cruise that you mentioned, Mike, hanging out with his girlfriend, Camille Kostek. Those are the situations where we
2: saw Gronk, and I think that's why there wasn't a whole lot of vitriol for him. Now, there was some. Look, there's no doubt that Rob Gronkowski played a role that most of America loves in sports, especially football. The big meathead, the lovable meathead that is just there to have a good time, is not all that intellectual, is there to put on a helmet and run through a brick wall and say, yeah, me like football, me like touchdowns, and he played that to the hilt. Is he smarter than that? I don't know. He's never given us any sense of really whether that's truly who he is or not. But, yeah, I mean, let's face it, Gronk can get away with a lot of stuff, having a sex cruise, dating hookers, pounding beers and doing shots on parade floats because – People love that he just seemed to be a good old-fashioned American boy that likes to play football and is a lovable, big lunkhead. And you know that we here on Around the Dial are big Alliance fans. At least we were. That's now past tense as the AAF suspends its operations. It's not officially folded up forever and defunct, but it looks like it's going that way. And so what happened there? Tom Dundon, the billionaire owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, owns Golf as well, decided to buy into the league in week two, and then by week nine said, I'm out of here, and we're folding up shop. Why did the Alliance fail? It seemed like they had a pretty good grassroots love of the game and the sport by a lot of fans across the country. Here's Sean and Arjan, 105 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. Let's make it clear from the jump,
11: this is not failing right now because of ratings. Right. The ratings were okay for
7: them. This was... Funding. Funding. This was money. You would think that if you have ratings, you will have funding. Right. You would think. Yeah. But they didn't. You'd uh, think you
11: wouldn't start it without funding.
7: Right. Now, I imagine that Vince McMahon has more funding. Sure. But I could be way wrong on that one. They'll have more promotion or better TV, maybe. Look, like if they're going to be on ESPN or Fox or FS1, it's probably better than CBS Sports Network. Uh, but the NFL Network surely has a a built-in audience surely has a built-in audience. Yeah, and- so I don't know how much better the ratings can get. The only thing that the XFL will have that the AAF
8: doesn't is no age limits. And by the way, uh, Vince McMahon he sold two hundred seventy-two million dollars in WWE stock to fund the XFL.
11: Yeah, I mean, Yikes. no Vince on his own. You know, I don't think funding will be a problem. No one thought funding would be a problem with this. Yeah,
7: once they got the 250.
11: They had 400, they had between 400 and 500,000 viewers tuning in for games. So that was pretty consistent for them. They got a bump mm-hmm. when Johnny Manziel was uh, signed by the Memphis team. They weren't paying these guys anything, it was three year non guaranteed contracts. You got 70K in the first year, you got 80 in the second. And you got 100 in the third. And then yesterday, we see reports, Robert Klemko with a tweet, some AAF teams making players pay for their own flights home. What a clown show this was. I saw Albert Breer uh, with something that you sent about a gambling app. There was some type of motive for this. What
7: yeah, is- well, that was the 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 Tom D- Dundon guy. Yeah, the owner. Yep. There is a gambling app that was used in this league that he kind of thought of maybe as taken control of. That's what he really wanted when he got into this. He wanted access to the gambling app. So now maybe that's part of why he wanted to shut this thing down.
11: But what use is the gambling app of the league
7: gone? He could use it for the NHL. He's the NHL owner. Okay. So just to get the app.
9: Yeah, there was that rumor out there. Although Darren Ravel of the Action Network points out that it would be illegal for Dundon to have done to have shuttered the league just to take the technology and use it in another capacity. Um, one of the other things that Darren Ravel writes in his Action Network piece about it, and obviously Darren very plugged into the business side of things, he mentioned that uh, Charlie Ebersol and Bill Polian, their original plan was to hash out the league for three years and then move into an agreement with the NFLPA and a partnership with the NFL. Dundon, once he came on board, was hoping that by threatening to shutter the league, he would force the NFLPA's hand into making an agreement. They had met earlier this week on Monday. Both sides said the talks were decent, so it was a little bit of a surprise that the news came down yesterday, but it sounds like Dundon was just tired of, of... Basically peeing money away.
7: Here here's a here's a little statement from about the gambling app real quick. MGM executives said they're most taken by the AAF's app, which can provide a host of data in milliseconds. Uh the information arrives so fast that the league and its partners said it could eventually allow in game betting on play outcomes. Which we've never seen anything quite like that. So like, hey, is this gonna be a pass? Is this gonna be a run? Is this gonna be a first down? Is this gonna how many yards is it gonna be over under six and a half? Like, that would be
2: game-changing. My God, you are such a degenerate (laughs) if you actually bet on plays. Look, they're right. It's not about a lack of popularity or a lack of fan interest. This is not
11: failing right now because of ratings. Right. The ratings were okay for them.
2: This was funding. Funding. This was money. They had nearly a million social media followers between Twitter and Instagram. They had ratings that beat the NHL on NBC Sports Network. They had a decent product and good interest. They just had terrible financing. And you've got to blame Charlie Ebersole and Bill Polian for not having steadier ground to stand on for a league that clearly had the fans there to watch but didn't have the funding behind it. Is there an appetite for spring football? In an era now where we have the NFL network on 365, well, here's the fan morning show, on 93 7 in Pittsburgh.
12: If you get into business in the football business, mm-hmm. you're competing with the NFL. Period.
1: Well, Period, it, end if, of story. It, it, and if nothing if else. If they didn't
12: have an agreement to link up with the NFL as they started to get underway, then they. The NFL had. had the NFL. AAF needed the NFL way more than the NFL ever needed the AAF. You're AF. right. I, I the NFL has a free feeder system in college football.
1: I don't know. And I don't know if they didn't scramble for that just to keep themselves afloat once they saw that it wasn't going to work. In other words, uh, well, we, we'd be a great minor league. would be a great developmental league. Hey, right. NFL, help well, us out. have help that us out. in place before you so, launch. Right. Well, and they expected more success. And I think I, I don't necessarily look at it as the NFL killed the AAF. Oh, I, I do. I look at it as everything that happens this time of year you know why? killed the AAF. Here's why I look at it. Here's here's why I look at it like the NFL
12: absolutely killed the AAF. The NFL, and they, they said, we're not going to play during the season. Mm-hmm. Okay, smart move. You think? Maybe. See, that's I'll the downfall, I think. No, I'll tell you exactly why. The NFL season, so to speak, has no bounds. The NFL season isn't just the games anymore. This isn't 1981. The NFL product is consumed by consumers all year. There's an NFL network that has live programming all year. There's a morning show all year. There's live programming, 365. There's the draft. There's the combine. There's the off-field drama. The AB drama, the Lev Bell drama, the -the off-the-field stuff, got more ratings, gets more hits, is on FS1, is on ESPN, is on all that stuff, way more than any AAF game ever was. The NFL season right now, Is 365 days. The NFL is a lifestyle now. The NFL is something that we consume every day of the year. But at at, at least one point in every single day of my life, I go to either NFL.com or I flick on the NFL network. Sure. I check on what's. You can't say that in 1995
1: even. But I also think we can consume all that. As, as consumers of sports, we can consume all the off-season stuff that happens, and we're used to consuming all of that. While we're also consuming March Madness, while we're also consuming the start of the baseball season. That's all. While we're everything also everything you're going to name
12: is the very top uh, is the very
1: top of competition, though. Everything that you're going to name isn't minor, right? And that's exactly my point: is they stepped into a, they thought that getting away from the fall and getting into the spring would get them more eyeballs and remember that first week when everybody watched because it was the launch because it it snowed across half the country and everybody was just coming down off the Super Bowl they got a decent number of eyeballs but then the weather started to get better across most of the country and then all of a sudden uh, college basketball ramped up and then all of a sudden baseball ramped up and everybody looked at it everybody forgot it existed message to Vince McMahon quit before you start
2: See, I think there's always going to be appetite for live games. It's one thing to watch guys in the scouting combine, follow the draft, but it's another thing to watch real live games, and that's what the Alliance offered. Real live games played by former professionals or would-be professionals in the NFL, guys that might be good enough one day to play in the NFL or were good enough one day to at least have a cup of coffee there. And that's what is missing, is that, yeah, we have coverage of the NFL every day, but we don't have live games every day. It fills that void for football fans. That's the best from your Sports Talk on Wednesday, April the 3rd. We'll see you tomorrow from Minneapolis, the site of the Final Four for Around the Dial. See you tomorrow, everyone.
1: Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in Sports Talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app.